Good morning, I'm Kay. The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 20, 1 and 2, and verse 12. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In verse 12, honor your father and mother, so that your life will be long on the fertile land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mark. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. As for children, obey your parents in the Lord, because it is right. The commandment to honor your father and mother is first one is the first one with a promise attached, so that things will go well for you, and you will live long, a long time in the land. As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Sarah. Thank you for standing, if you're able, for the gospel reading found in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood near the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Gracious Father, the God who reveals himself as Father, the one who we call Father, we come to you today as your kids. And we come gathered in your place to receive from you, to hear your words, to reflect on your thoughts, to be transformed into your people, that we might go into the world and represent you well. But as we do so, we pray that your spirit would be at work among us and in us and do the kinds of things in our hearts that only you can do. We entrust ourselves to you. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. My name is Jason Jackson. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. Our lead pastor, Glenn Packiam, is still in England. He will be coming back later on this week, but he officially received his doctoral degree uh, from the University of Durham on Thursday. So when you see him, make sure you give him a big congratulations. Uh, We're in the middle this uh, summer of walking through a series on the Ten Commandments. And today, we're getting a chance to look particularly at the Fifth Commandment. Uh, This commandment actually bridges the two parts of the Ten Commandments together. The first four commands really address uh, the, the ideas related to the people of God's worship. And then the second sort of set, these next commands, really address the people of God's ethic. They kind of move from this place of talking about what it means to live in right relationship with God to what it means to live in right relationship with one another. The first part addresses how is it that we love God, and the second part, how is it that out of our love for God that we actually love our neighbor? How do we love one another in a way that puts this God on display. So it's not surprising, given that connection between these two parts of the Ten Commandments, that when we make that bridge, that the Fifth Commandment addresses our first relationship. 
It addresses that foundational relationship that we come into the world with, that relationship between parent and child, between the people that, between us and the people that we call mom and dad, or in our house, the people that my kids call dad, and mom, 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 and another 10 times kind of in the middle of that. So it's not surprising that we actually start there with this command. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, where you can follow along on the screen. And the scripture says this, it says, honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Notice, first of all, that it says, honor your father and your mother, In a patriarchal culture in the ancient Near East at this time, that addition would have been really significant. To say this is not just honor your father, but honor your father and your mother. A a statement that would have had resounding sort of impact and would have startled some at that time. But it says to honor these folks. The word in Hebrew is the word kabed. It really means to make something or someone heavy, to make them weighty, to regard, the encouragement is to regard our parents as people of great weight or great significance in our lives, to treat them with a particular kind of gravity, to recognize that there is a certain prominence to this relationship in our lives and to prioritize it or to give it the kind of weight that corresponds to that prominence, the place that parents play in our lives. In a related passage in the book of Leviticus, the word honor is actually replaced by the word fear or revere. Both words, honor and fear, are actually in, elsewhere in the, uh, in the Old Testament primarily reserved for our relationship with God. They're primarily calling us to honor the Lord, to fear or revere the Lord. So we find this connection that happens, which also helps make that bridge. There's something about our relationship with our parents that can speak to us about the, our relationship with God. And there's something about the way that we treat our parents that in some way should be analogous to the way that we treat God. There's something about these relationships that is in some way mysteriously and beautifully connected. And so again, it's not surprised that when we bridge from worship to ethics that we talk about this command. We talk about this relationship between parents. Today, I want to particularly do two things, though, as we talk about this command. The first thing I want to do is I want us to reconsider an assumption that we make about this text. I want us to reconsider an assumption that we make about the fifth commandment. And the second thing I want to do is I want us to consider an assumption the text makes. So I want us to reconsider an assumption we make and then to consider an assumption the text makes. So first thing, we assume that the fifth commandment primarily addresses dependent children. This is our assumption that it primarily addresses dependent children, that we think about this command, that it may be God's greatest gift to parents of toddlers and teenagers and maybe even 20-somethings. It's like, oh, thank you, God, for including that in the Ten Commandments. It becomes almost like a divine trump card in every parent-child argument. It's the spiritualized version of because I said so, right? 
clean your room, go to bed, brush your teeth, get a job. Why? Honor your father and your mother. Do not question me. <laughs> right? It becomes sort of that for us. But as we think about the commandments in general, you'll notice that the command itself doesn't actually specify an audience. It doesn't say, little children, honor your father and mother. And secondly, if we think about the commandments as a whole, we see that they're addressed actually to the entire community of Israel, that they're addressed to everyone. And if there is an initial audience inside the Ten Commandments, think about the commands that are given. Do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery. These are not things that children are doing. That the initial address, the initial addressees of the Ten Commandments is actually adult children. That the Fifth Commandment actually initially addresses adult kids, not dependent kids. Now, this doesn't mean that it doesn't include those folks that it doesn't move on from that place. The Ten Commandments usually start in a place, and then as we track them out, they expand and they grow. So kids and teenagers, this does not let you off the hook in terms of thinking about your relationship with your parents in those uh, ways. Adults may be the first audience, but they are certainly not the only one. In fact, Paul makes that really clear as we looked at our New Testament reading that he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He specifically narrows it in and connects it to dependent children at that point in time. But the question is, in the context of the Ten Commandments themselves, initially, why does it address adult children? Why is this so significant that it gets included in the Ten why is it that the Lord feels like, hey, as we're thinking about this transition from you being released from slavery and coming into life with me, why does he address adult children and to say to them, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you? Think about this just for a second, thinking about Israel's sort of story. Israel has just spent 400 years in slavery, 400 years in Egypt. This is all they've ever known is life under Pharaoh's thumb. And now they've been released from slavery. They've been brought to this place, Sinai, in the middle of the desert, but this is not the place they're ending. The place that they're going is a good land, the land of Canaan. And so the Ten Commandments in some ways look back at addressing the things that happened in Egypt and to say this is not going to be the kind of life that you're going to live as you go forward. But in other ways, they look forward to life in the land and saying, what is life going to look like when you get to the place that the Lord your God is bringing you? And this land, of course, is miles and miles and miles away from the place they are right now. It is occupied by other people, and it is largely undeveloped. It is an occupied, rugged, and distant land. The Israelites are going to have to travel miles. They're going to have to fight battles. 
They're going to have to build houses. They're going to have to terrace the rocky hill country so that they can farm this land. They're going to have to dig cisterns so that they can preserve what little rainfall this area gets. They're going to have to work hard in order for life to be sustainable. It can be a good life, but it is a physically demanding life. It is a life of shepherds and farmers and working the land and building from the ground up. And throughout Israel's history, people are going to struggle to survive and debt slavery is going to be a real possibility inside of their life together. So when life is hard and when resources are limited, who do they normally go to? When life is hard and resources are limited, the tendency of humanity is to give them to the young and to the strong, not to those whose productive years are behind them and who've moved from being those who others depended upon to those who are now dependent upon others. The tendency is to give those things to the young and the strong. It's easy in those situations to actually act like the Egyptians, to value those who can do the most work, to value those who are the most productive, to value people in the same way that Pharaoh valued slaves, and to see other people as they get older and more dependent as somehow less than, and begin to restrict resources from them and treat them in a particular kind of way. It's easy at that point to begin to highlight the useful and discard those who are less so. But the fifth commandment, like Sabbath, reminds us that our value is not based on what we do, and it doesn't diminish when we get older, less productive, or more dependent upon other people. That our value does not change in those situations. That as people, as those who are made in the image of God, that our value does not change when our production does. That our value does not change when our age does. That our value does not change when our bodies do. That our value is not dependent upon those things, but our value is dependent on the fact that we are the rescued children of God who were made in his, in his image and given significant sort of value and worth. This is what the commandment reminds us. And so it commands us really to embody this kind of valuing of human life by honoring our elders, beginning with our parents. It tells us to embody that kind of view by honoring those who've gone before us by honoring our parents and those who are older. Now, this is incredibly, I think, pertinent in our world. As we think about the culture that we live in, that we live in a culture that extremely elevates youth and belittles old age and isolates generations from one another. We live in a kind of culture that does this with youth, that highlights it and praises it and sort of lifts it up in a very honoring way and then takes those who are aging and begins to belittle them and isolate them 
and distance from them in some way. So it has ramifications for that, but it also has, I think, another ramification that we now live in a society that because of the advancements in science and medicine, people are now living a very, very, very long life. That life is being prolonged in many ways. My great-grandmother was born in 1889 and died in 1996. She died about a month or so before she turned 107 years old. It was a beautiful gift to have her with us that long. She was in, uh, had her, kind of her full faculties all the way up until the very end. She was an incredibly important person in my life. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see her live that long. But we also know that the longer that we live, it's both beautiful and it's complicated. It's very complicated that for many who live a long life also deal with persistent medical financial, emotional, relational, and spiritual challenges. That when we live that long, there are oftentimes persistent challenges that we didn't think about, that we didn't see coming, that we don't really know what to do with in that aspect of things. And it's oftentimes unclear for those of us who have aging parents or aging grandparents, it's unclear exactly what we can or even should do. It's the kind of relationship, the kind of decisions that can bring us a lot of anxiety and confusion and conflict and even guilt as we try to think through what does it mean to honor folks in this stage of life. And many of us, I think, in this room are living in that right now, walking through those kinds of decisions and discussions, either with your parents or with your grandparents, or maybe as someone who's walking through that with your own kids. And if you're not walking through it now, chances are you will be sometime in your lifetime. There was one report that said in 1950 worldwide, there were about 14 million people over the age of 80. That was kind of the estimate in 1950, 14 million people over the age of 80. By 2050, so 100 years later, the estimate is there will be nearly 380 million people over the age of 80 living on the planet. It's like a 27-time number amount. That it's likely that we're going to walk through these things somewhere in our lives. So what do we do when we're facing those kinds of situations. I want to offer just three thoughts on this, and then we'll look at the second half. The first one is that I believe that God calls us to care for our parents in the same way that he calls, us, calls them to care for us. And there is a call to care. Then when we look at other passages related to parents in the Old Testament, it instructs adult children with their aging parents to make sure that they protect their parents' life and property, to ensure that their parents have food and clothing and shelter, that encourages children to think about their parents in a way that tends to their physical, emotional, relational, financial, and emotional and spiritual needs, that says, hey, think about parents with this kind of weight, that their life should be something that's of significance to you. 
that their quality of life, that their care in life, that they're provided for should have some sort of weight in your life, in your conversations, in your decisions. As you think about moving forward, the one way to honor them is to think about those things in a weighty and significant way, not to push this aside, not to not think about it, not to sort of abdicate this role and to say, oh, that's not my responsibility, but to look at our parents and to say, how is it that we can honor you by caring for you? How is it that we do that? Second thing that I want to say, though, is in the middle of that conversation, it's important for us to know this quote from Edith Schaefer, that it's not sinful to be finite and limited. It is not sinful to be finite and limited. We all, as people, have a limited amount of time and energy and resources available to us. And for many, our parents may not be the only ones that we're caring for, that we're figuring out what it means to care for ourselves as we get older, to care for our spouses, to care for our kids, to care for our grandkids, to care for other people in our lives as well who also have weight and significance inside of our lives. And we have to face sort of the, hard, the, the really hard conversation sometimes that our parents' needs may at some point outweigh our abilities. That our parents' needs may at some point outweigh our abilities. And though it may feel like it, and though our parents might even accuse us of it, it is not dishonoring to recognize our own limitations to set boundaries, and to rely on others. It is not sinful to be finite and limited. The third thing then is I think it takes a village to honor the aging. We've heard the old African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child, that there's something about the whole task of parenting that thankfully is not something that we do alone, but there's other people that come into our lives to help us care for our kids, to raise them, to be good examples for them, to speak truth into our lives, to be the kind of people that are honoring also in their lives. I think the same is true that it takes a village to honor the aging. And I think the most beautiful picture of this is thinking about the ways in which we entrust our parents into the hands of other people when we can no longer care for them is the picture that we see of Jesus on the cross. That here in the most agonizing moments of Jesus' life, he looks and he sees his mom. And he looks and he sees the disciple John. And he says to her, woman, here is your son. And he says to him, son, here is your mother. And he connects his mom into the community of Christ followers. And it says that she came home and lived with him for the rest of her days. That he cared for her in that kind of way, but it required, the incur the actually required including other people into that conversation. See, we, many times in our lives, we cannot do this alone, that we need one another, that we need the family of God, those that we've been placed in relationship with, to help us to care, to help us to carry these things. And at times, we may, need, may, we may even need the help 
of professional care facilities and care doctors and others. There are times that our parents' needs may outweigh our abilities, and we must rely on others inside of that. All right, second part. The fifth commandment, I think, making an assumption, the fifth commandment assumes our parents are honorable. We assume that the fifth commandment primarily addresses dependent children, but it actually initially addresses adult children. And secondly, I think the fifth commandment assumes that our parents are honorable. That in the biblical ideal, the biblical ideal about family is that every child is born into a family where the mother and father are deeply committed to each other, they're deeply committed to Yahweh, and they're deeply committed to their children. That this is the biblical ideal, is that kids will be welcomed into this kind of family where mom and dad love each other, they love the Lord, they love and they care for their kids, and all things go normally well. It doesn't say that the commandment assumes our parents are perfect, okay? Assumes they're honorable, not perfect. We want to make sure that that distinction is there, that they are doing all they can to be faithful to God, to be faithful to one another, and be faithful to our kids, to their kids. And for some of us, this is beautifully and wonderfully true. And as you think about your parents or maybe your grandparents, you think about the people in your life, you look at that and you go, yeah, that has been my story. And praise God if it is. If you can look at that and you think, you know what? My parents are honorable. Then this command becomes, how is it that we actually keep that cycle going? That the most honorable thing to do inside of that is to say that I am going to honor my parents by living life like they did. That I am going to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. I'm going to be faithful to my kids in the same way that my parents were faithful in that way. That I'm going to honor their legacy by carrying it forward. That I'm going to continue in this tradition. I'm going to keep the streak alive from one generation to the next. For some of us, this is beautifully and wonderfully true. And for others of us, this is painfully not. That we cannot say that our parents are honorable. That some of our deepest hurts and deepest pains and deepest challenges in our lives originated with our parents. For some of us, this is painfully not that one or both of our parents abandoned us, abused us, neglected us, or wounded us in some significant way. And some of them even justified their behavior by using the fifth commandment and explained their behavior in this way and somehow tried to connect it with God, which even caused us to have deep challenges in our relationship with him because of those connections. When that is the case, how do we honor the dishonorable? Can we? Should we? What does that actually look like? And I'll say that for me, this has been one of the greatest challenges in my walk with Jesus. That my 
uh, father has lived a very dishonorable life. That in many ways, the challenges that I face, that my mom faces, that my brothers face, are all deeply connected to the decisions that he made and the ramifications of those things in our lives today. Things that happened maybe a long time ago but continue to reverberate in a way that cause deep pain, deep challenge, deep hurt, and cause all of us to now live estranged from him with no connection and no relationship at all. And in that situation, I found myself time after time after time after time, God, how do I do this? How do I honor this person who's caused such deep pain in my life and the life of those that I care the most about? How is it that we do that? So I think the fifth commandment is implicitly reciprocal. That other texts actually make this clear, that in particularly in Paul, that this honoring goes both ways. That there's a sense that we honor parents because they are honorable, because of the way that they have parented and loved and cared for their kids. Paul says it this way. He says, right after saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord for it is the right thing to do. He says, then, yeah, as for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction in the Lord. This is not a one-sided commandment. It's a commandment that talks about family structures and family relationships and family habits and patterns. So the responsibility to honor to respect, to care, to value, to love actually goes both ways. And when it does not, when parents make dishonorable decisions, when they live dishonorable lives, or they demand us to do something dishonorable, then the demands of this command actually have to be reconsidered as we thought about in that light. And I think maybe in those situations, the most honoring thing that we can do is to break the cycle is to stop the streak. That whatever habits and patterns and those things have been started, that we say they end with us. That we look to honor the life that they gave us, but we do not honor the way that they lived. That the best thing that we can do is to break the streak, to break the cycle and start a new trajectory with our lives and our families. I think this begins with forgiveness that we learn to forgive. And when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness begins with actually with naming and condemning what happened to us. Not denying it, not discarding it, not justifying it, not minimizing it, not pretending it didn't happen, not talking about it. Not not talking about it is what I mean. And it, forgiveness actually begins with naming and condemning what happened not in any way minimizing it. But then secondly, choosing not to count what happened against the offender, releasing them from that debt and refusing to seek revenge on those things that happened. It does not necessarily mean remaining in relationship with them. The hope and the goal, the ultimate goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. It is restoration. It is that great hope that when we forgive, that this starts a process that ends in restoration and reconciliation. But that goal 
actually requires a deep, genuine, and continual repentance in the life of the person who's hurt us that actually leads to a deep, genuine, and lasting transformation. God does not ask us to remain in relationship with unrepentant, unsafe, unchanged offenders. In fact, there are numerous times in the Old Testament when those who are unrepentant or are hurting the community are excommunicated from the community. Forgiveness is extended to them, but reconciliation and restoration are not possible until they can name and condemn what they did and begin to become different kinds of people who will no longer do those things to people in this world. This is forgiveness. It's naming it, condemning it, releasing it, and trusting God to see where it goes from there. He does ask us to pray for them and to remain open to the work that he might do, to remain open to them actually getting to that place where they become the kind of people that we can say, yes, now we can honor them. He does ask us to do that. So the first thing is that we learn to forgive. The second thing is that we learn to live differently. That we learn to live differently. Pete Scazzaro, who developed the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses that we've started here at New Life Downtown, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy um, Relationships, he has this quote that I absolutely love. He says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. We recognize that how we learn to do relationships, how we learn to communicate, how we learn to have conflict, how we learn to resolve conflict, how we learn to relate to one and to other people is largely influenced by our family of origin. And so we don't just simply like say like, oh, I'm going to live differently. We actually have to learn to live differently. We have to learn how to redo all of these things. We have a lot of unlearning to do and relearning to do uh, so that we might actually change the trajectory. And that by God's grace and by the Spirit of God working inside of us, it is actually possible for us to become different people and different kinds of parents. That we do not have to keep the cycle going, that our relationship with our kids, if we end up having them, does not have to look like our parents' relationship with us, that we can learn to live differently, that by God's grace and by the Spirit, we can actually become honorable people, that we can live honorable lives, and it can be possible that our kids don't have to wrestle with these same questions that we can set and establish a new trajectory. But it does take us learning. It does take us working and participating with what it is that God wants to do. And so maybe you find yourself in this place today and say, I don't even know where to start that journey. But I encourage you this uh, fall, we're getting ready to start in September, two courses that I think are a great place to start. One of them is the Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. Uh, that just talks about how is it that we have relationships with other people that are God-honoring and emotionally healthy? 
How do we do that? What kind of skills do we need to continue on with that? And then also we're having a spiritual parenting class, talking about what does it mean to carry this role of parenting in a way that honors God and helps to tend to our children's hearts. So I encourage you to start there as one option of saying, hey, I want to become a different kind of person. I want to live my life differently than my parents lived theirs but I'm not sure how to do that. Where do I go? There's a couple places to start. And thirdly, I think the encouragement would be to lean into your new family. That one of the beautiful aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that when we come to Jesus, he gives us a family. That he connects us with other people. That when we come to Christ, he actually places us in relationship with other people And largely those relationships are the very things that God uses to bring about the deepest needs and desires of our hearts. That for me, when I was a teenager and my parents were going through a divorce, it was Ken and Deb Quintus. Who welcomed me into their home and introduced me to Jesus. When I was in my 20s, It was Mark and Casey Steele who invited me into their home and let me see what a Christian marriage looked like and how they parented out of love for God, love for one another, love for their kids. And now it's largely, in many ways, some of you and my wife's parents, Mike and Gail Goolsby, who in many ways have continued to show me what it means to have a different trajectory a different tradition, a different legacy. And for some of you, it may be the people sitting around you right now. And it may be people in this room who God wants to connect you with to bring about deep help, deep healing, deep strength. It may be that in this room, there are people that God has brought into your life to be spiritual parents, or maybe to be mentors, Or maybe it's people that are not in this room and it's counselors and others who are able to come alongside of you in a season and help you walk through and do some some real significant work and processing what's happened. But we have to lean into those relationships, lean into others, lean into our new family. And for others in the room, it may be time for you to be the kind of person that others can lean into. It's time to recognize the significant influence that you have. Not just in your own immediate family, but in those who are sitting around you. And saying in some ways that maybe God might be calling you to be a spiritual parent, to be a mentor, to be a friend, to be the kind of person who actually becomes what somebody else needs in their relationships. This is the beauty of what God does in our families, and particularly in this family. And so that when we come together, the call is not simply for us to honor our biological mothers and fathers, but to actually honor one another, and particularly to honor those in our lives who play that role, to honor our spiritual moms and dads. And ultimately, the call is to honor our Father in heaven. That this is the great invitation for us to recognize that as 
people who've been rescued by Jesus that regardless of what our relationship with our parents was like, that we have a father in heaven who loves us, that we have a father in heaven who cares for us, that we have a father in heaven who has rescued us, that we have a father in heaven who loved us so much that he gave his only son to forgive us, to teach us how to live differently and connected us into his family who brought us into a great household, who's done the kind of redemptive work in us that makes forgiveness and living differently and being part of family actually possible. And so the great hope when we come together is that our gatherings would honor him, that our lives as we go from here would honor him, that it would put him on display, that others might come to know and believe that there is a father who deeply, deeply cares. There is a parent who deeply, deeply loves. And there is a family that he wants to connect you into. That we see that happen through Jesus and we're reminded of that as we come to the table, as we come to this place to share in a family meal, to recognize that we've been brought together in Christ, to worship, to honor, and to glorify our father, to serve one another as moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends in the family of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you today and we're grateful that we get to call you dad. Not just grateful, we're overwhelmed by it. We thank you for all of the parents in our lives and in this room who have made it really easy for us to do that who've lived as moms and dads in our lives in such a way that it's easy for us to see you as a loving parent. And for all of the parents who've made that really hard, we pray that you would teach us to forgive. That you would help us to release them to you. And that you would do the kind of work inside of them that only you can do. And then that you would help us to become different people, to become different parents, to honor them by starting a new legacy. Would you help us? Because we know that that same work of transformation that our parents need is the same transformation that we need. And so we come to your table asking for your spirit to do your work in us and in our families and our homes. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.